Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. Let's turn to the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 26 through 33. It says this, But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or, what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So... You cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. I'm so thankful for the word of God. I'm thankful that as we study his word tonight, his spirit can move here amongst us, encourage us, lift us up, and challenge us as we move closer to the character of Christ. Let's pray as we get started tonight. Father, I thank you that you've been so gracious to us. You continue to reveal your hand to us. You haven't left us alone. And that as we surrender our thinking and our feeling to you, that you can be revealed in this room tonight. We need you. We need your wisdom. We need your guidance. And we pray that you would give that to us tonight by the power of your spirit. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to do something at the beginning of this sermon that no preacher should do, but I'm going to tell you that I'm doing it. I'm going to be transparent as we go through it. I am going to take this verse out of context. Here's why you're not supposed to do that. So context is really important that when we look at scripture, we don't just ask the question, what does this verse mean to me? We want to first ask the question, what does this verse mean in context? In the context of the full passage that it was written, in the context of the person that it was originally written for. But I think I have a good reason why I'm going to take this out of context. So if you'll give me just a moment, I'll explain why. Today is week number three in our series, Jesus Talks About Money. We're taking four weeks to look through the book of Luke looking for places that God gives us advice and counsel about how we handle our personal finances. Uh, today we want to have a meaningful and practical conversation about debt. This passage begins with the instruction, don't begin until you count the cost. But here's the problem with context. This verse sounds like it's about money, but is Jesus actually talking about money? No, He's, he's not. In context, Jesus is talking to a group of his future disciples, people who have decided that they are interested, but they're not exactly sure how far in they want to go on the teaching of Jesus. And as they are evaluating this, Jesus gives them advice, and he says, following me is going to cost you everything. So before you make a really expensive purchase, you need to make sure that you have enough money to pay for it. Don't begin until you count the cost, it's a spiritual metaphor, and Jesus does this in his teachings all of the time. You know, while Jesus compares himself to a shepherd, he's not trying to teach the audience how to become shepherds. He's trying to reveal to them a spiritual truth. Let's look at it like an equation tonight. So if you start off with a agreed-upon understanding 
plus a spiritual metaphor equals spiritual understanding. So in the example of the shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus is the good shepherd, it would look like this. So the agreed upon understanding would be shepherds protect their sheep. Everyone that Jesus was talking to would have agreed upon this. They knew this. The spiritual metaphor would be Jesus is our shepherd equals the spiritual understanding Jesus protects us. He finds this agreed upon understanding to teach us something, to give us spiritual insight. So we can do the same thing with a passage about being a disciple of Christ, the one we read at the beginning of our talk today. So first, what's the agreed upon understanding here? Well, it's in the first verse we read. Don't begin until you count the cost. So the agreed upon understanding is don't purchase things you can't afford. And then we're going to add to that the spiritual metaphor, which is following Christ is expensive, equals consider the cost before you follow Christ. This passage is about considering the cost before you follow Christ, being all in, being willing to pay the spiritual bill and give everything. This passage is not about the agreed-upon understanding. What was the agreed-upon understanding? It was don't purchase things you can't afford. That was just the starting point. That was what Jesus knew that everyone in his audience already would agree upon, what they already knew. Well, here's our problem, and here's the reason why I feel spiritual permission to take this verse in a different direction tonight, is that our culture has lost an agreed-upon understanding about debt. It's like if Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, and then there's one guy in the crowd who goes, yeah, shepherds, they're the ones who slaughter sheep for fun and leave their carcasses scattered out on the hillside. Well, if that was that guy's agreed-upon understanding about sheep, he then has no pathway to get to the spiritual truth that Jesus is trying to teach them in our culture, we have lost an agreed-upon understanding about debt. The following stats come from Experian, which is a credit reporting company. The average American has four credit cards, and the average credit card balance is $5,315. So for those of you who are all about the points and you pay off your credit card at the end of every single month, good for you. This is not your number. This is not the number that was on the charge. This is the number that was left after you made the payment is in a balance of $5,300. 60% of Americans have auto loans, and the average auto loan balance is $19,703. 22% of Americans have personal loans, and the average personal loan balance is $16,458. 14% of Americans have student loans, and the average student loan balance is 38792 So if you're in the room and you have like $1,000 of student loan debt, that means you're balancing someone out who has way, way more than 38000 44% of Americans have home mortgages, and the average home mortgage balance is $208,185. That is a lot of money to owe. And in your defense of the 2,000 years that have passed since Jesus' time to your time, a lot of things have changed. You know, in Jesus' time, if you weren't able to repay your debt, there was only two options, and it was prison or slavery. And so people in his time knew that there were very serious consequences. There was an agreed-upon understanding, don't purchase things you can't afford. 
Now, in 2022, in America, debt has really become a part of our culture. It really is a part of our life. We're not going to make the assumption that all debt is bad. We are going to make the assumption that being free from debt is always good, right? If someone tomorrow said they were going to pay off every debt that you own, you would receive that as good news. Not all debt is bad, but being free from debt is always good. Let's talk about these different categories of debt. So the first one is property debt. You know, financial counselors don't consider a mortgage to be a bad debt or a negative debt because historically property has been a good investment that they see those returns come up. Me and Mandy bought our first house when we were 22. We bought it for $82,000 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And then four years later, we resold it for $96,000. And that was really fun. And just to be clear, we didn't have the $82,000. That was not our money. There was a bank who agreed to loan us that money so that we could live in that house. But then when we made that profit, it was good profit off of a good investment. Not all debt is bad, but being free from debt is always good. If you think about the ability to choose a slightly less expensive house and afford a 15-year mortgage instead of a 30-year mortgage, wouldn't it feel good to be out of debt 15 years sooner? Whether you're single or married, I want you to think of that number, of the number that you have of any property debt that you have and think of what that number is. If you're married, you can just look at the person and you can communicate it through eyes only. So just give them a look that says exactly what that number is, and then we're gonna keep tracking as we keep going. So the second category we're gonna look at is I'm gonna call job training debt. This isn't just student loans. I wanna wrap into this any cost that is necessary for you to earn income or increase your income. I had a really fun conversation with a 20-year-old here at our church on Sunday. And this week was his very first week to work as a full-time welder. He had just finished all of his certification. He had just gotten hired. And so this is his first five days he's going through right now in his first full-time job ever. He was going through the list of all the things he had to purchase in order to go to his first day of work that they had said, hey, you need this safety equipment. You need these kinds of tools. And once he had done all of those things, it was $500 to get ready. Now, this is a very smart man. He had had that money saved up to purchase it with cash. But let's say that he didn't. If he had to go out and get a $500 loan to buy this equipment, we would think that's a really good debt to have. Why? Because he's going to pay it off really, really fast. That $500 of equipment, he is going to earn literally tens of thousands of dollars before that equipment wears out. That's a really good debt to have. Let's flip that around and make another imaginary scenario about another imaginary 20-year-old who decides to go to Marquette. Marquette's a great school. Their current uh, tuition rate is $45,000 for one year of tuition, not including anything else. And so uh, let's say that this student goes there for four years and they don't get any scholarships. They don't have anyone to help them cover that cost. Four years, that would be $180,000 of school debt. And let's say they decide to get a really great degree in a bachelor's in elementary education. Huge fan of elementary education. I want to see really good teachers, but let's kind of figure this out. In Wisconsin, the average salary for an elementary educator to start off with is in the forty dollars to $45,000 range. 
how long is it going to take someone who earns forty to forty-five thousand dollars a year and has bills just like you and me to pay off one hundred and eighty thousand dollars in school debt? Uh, financial advisors call this the shovel-to-hole ratio. So, how big is the hole that you are making, and how large is the shovel that you will have? to fill it back in. This is where even with our job training debt, we need to be making wise decisions. I know that I've got people in this room who have opportunities at your work that if you would get this extra training, this extra certification, if you were to get this extra degree that you would be able to jump up your pay scale, look at those. Is it worth it? Is this job training debt, appropriate debt, helpful debt? So think about that number. Get that number in your head of any job training debt that you have, how much is that? You don't have to say it out loud. You don't have to say anything out loud tonight. <laughs> the third category, now, and you know, I was thinking about the early days, like someone, someone said, hey, uh, you know, my car, like I have to have a car to get to work, and that's true. You do have to have transportation. You have to show up on work on time. People don't like people that don't show up to work on time. So you do have to do that, but if you're sitting here and going, that you really need the $40,000 vehicle to get you there and that that $40,000 of debt is necessary because, Pastor Dan, if I have to go to work, I have to be comfortable to get there. Then your debt probably belongs in the next category, which is category number three, which we're going to call consumer debt. This is where things get a little bit ugly. This is about making purchases on a monthly basis that either strain or exceed your income. You know, any one of us could get a flat tire on the way home from church tonight. I don't wish that for any of you. But it could happen to any one of us. Let's think this through. How much is that going to cost? And you know that when you go to get your one flat tire ch checked, they're going to tell you that another one of your tires is kind of worn down a little bit. And you might as well replace two while you're here. And, you know, this hasn't been rotated, so you really should just get all four done. And it's going to turn into several hundred dollars. So if I am someone living with consumer debt, if I'm living either at the edge of or beyond the salary that I make, that flat tire tonight is going to be a very stressful situation, and it is a situation that is going to turn into more consumer debt because I'm not prepared to pay, to pay for that extra expense. If I'm someone tonight who is living underneath my salary, and I have this extra space called margin, and I've got money sitting in the bank, I'm going to be very frustrated that I got that flat tire, but it is going to create a lower level of stress in my life because I have the money already setting aside to pay for that. Consumer debt is rarely about a $10,000 decision, and it is most often about a 1000 $10 decisions. It is your hair care and your food and your clothing and your subscriptions, all things that are not bad within themselves, but things that can easily get out of control. Let's get that number in your head. What is the number of consumer debt that you currently have that is a car, a boat, a credit card? What is that number? In Luke chapter 19, Jesus meets a very curious man by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is rich, but the money that he has is not all his money. Some of the money that he has was stolen. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and so what he would do is he would, he would uh, stretch out someone else's tax bill in order to shave some money off and keep money for himself. He liked the nice food and the nice clothes. He wanted to have the good house, but he was spending money that was not his, and here's the spiritual reality, he was spending this money to fill a void in his heart that could only be filled with Jesus. Have you ever felt 
less than and tried to fill that void with a new car or some new tech toy? Have you ever felt unattractive and tried to fill that void with a new outfit or new hair or makeup? Have you ever felt unaccomplished and tried to fill that void with an exciting vacation or an expensive night out? Have you ever felt empty and tried to fill that with a fancy steakhouse or a greasy burger? Being in debt is not a sin, but it is often our sinful nature that can drive us into debt. Selfishness is very expensive. Jealousy is very expensive. Laziness is very expensive. Pride is very expensive. I want to read to you how Zacchaeus responds when he meets Jesus. If you're not familiar with the story, I need you to know that Zacchaeus was a very short man. And so in order to see Jesus, he has to climb up into a tree. Let's read verses 5 through 9 of chapter 19. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He is gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and he said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. Zacchaeus needed to be free. He had a financial debt and he had a spiritual debt and he wanted to be free of both of them. Being in debt is not a sin, but it is often our sinful nature that can drive us into debt. Zacchaeus's greed and his misconstrued identity and his misguided sense of value were very expensive. Jesus frees Zacchaeus from his spiritual debt, and Zacchaeus' immediate reaction is to also get free from his financial debt. I want to close tonight with what I'm going to call the two most obvious pieces of financial advice. So I, I know that, like, that this room is a very diverse room. I know that in this room, each one of us have a unique financial story. I might have people here who, when I start talking about debt, it makes your heart beat a little bit faster. I might have people in, in this room that this is a very sensitive conversation and even a hurtful conversation to think about that weight or the pain or frustration that has happened because of financial debt. I know I've got people in this room who are probably completely free of any debt. If that's you, I just want you to keep humble, and I want you to say, whisper thank you to your Heavenly Father for the good things that he's given to you and the wisdom that you've been able to live out to be in the place you're in today. Wherever you're at, whether or not you have a little bit of debt, a lot of debt, or no debt, I think these two pieces of advice will be helpful to anyone. Why? Because they are the two most obvious pieces of financial advice. And the first one, here it is, is spend less. So financial peace happens in the margin. If I can be making this much and pay all of my expenses, get through the month, and still have a considerable amount of money left, that is the path towards sleeping well at night. That is the path toward living a generous lifestyle, is knowing that I can have that extra space and spend less. So if you want to, if you feel like the Holy Spirit tell you tonight, hey, you probably should be spending less, let me tell you that that's going to be a drastic step in your life 
to pull that off. So if you just have like a really good prayer tonight and you walk out the door and you're like, I'm going to spend less, it is not going to work. If you are going to spend less, it's going to take some drastic steps. So the first step that I would invite you to make tonight, if you would like to spend less, would be to bring someone else into your story. So what I would do right now while you feel that moment where you feel like, I should do this, before you lose that, I should do this feeling, is I would write down the name of the person that you're going to talk to this week about spending less. Or I would get on your phone right now and I would text that person and say, can we talk this week about spending less? It might be a spouse, it might be a friend, it might be a parent, but make that commitment right now to go, I need to make a change in my spending. Who am I going to talk to about this? And then when I'm sitting down with that person, First, I'm going to look at all my monthly expenses and check them out, right? Everyone knows, any smart business person knows, they just need to hook you on any amount every single month until you die, right? So if it's $7, I just need $7 until the day that you die. And I'm going to get every single month looking through those things and get through that. I think about what you're spending right now on entertainment alone. You can get your free... Right now, media subscription from Oak Creek Assembly of God, and you can shut down all of your subscription services tomorrow. It's going to feel weird. If you want to spend less, it's going to feel weird. Your friends are going to go, hey, you want to go to Applebee's after church? And you're like, why don't we go to my house for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches? And and then they're going to be like, oh, no, are things going poorly for you at work? Are you not doing well? Are you struggling spiritually? It's going to feel weird. If you are in $20,000 of car debt, the best thing I could recommend is to go sell that car and go get a car like mine that's cheap and tiny. And the people at work are going to look at you like you're a little bit strange. He had that nice vehicle. Are things not going well? It's going to be an uphill battle if you want to make a significant change in your spending to get your spending to come down. We live in a country where there is a lot of opportunity to get that spending down if you are wise and if you are willing to work really hard at it and if you are willing to be embarrassed sometimes. If you have to keep up your appearance to other people, you are not going to pull this off. There has to be a drastic change in order to spend less. My second piece of the most obvious financial advice is this, earn more. So if you say, Pastor Dan, things are tight. I don't make a lot of money, and I have tried to get my spend less as low as I can go. I'm living off the peanut butter and jelly diet. I am, you know, getting carpool rides when I can. I'm just trying to get those expenses way down, and I've brought them as low as I possibly can, and it's still not enough to have margin. Then your only other solution is number two, earn more. There are phenomenally creative ways to earn money. If you are sitting here and you're going, there's no way... This is, I'm maxed out. This is all my skills can do. This is the most I'll possibly ever make. I want you to write down the name of the person you're going to talk to this week about earning more. I want you to send a text right now to that person. Can we have a conversation this week about earning more? You need to get a creative person on your team. There are phenomenally creative ways to earn more money than you are currently earning. If your expenses are low as they can go, then you need to get that income to come up so that you get that margin space between what you make and what you spend that will bring peace into your life and allow you to start paying off the debts that need to be paid off. I'm going to show you three fun stories 
about people that I know who have done phenomenally creative things to earn income. The first one is my brother-in-law. He lives in Waco, Texas. He's currently a full-time student in his PhD program at Baylor University. And guess what? It does not pay great to be a full-time student. And so he needed to find more income to, to provide for his three baby girls that he's got to survive these years of full-time education. And so he wakes up at 2 a.m. in the morning, and he logs in on his computer and for four hours teaches English to elementary age students in China. It's bizarre, but it works, and it's good income, and it's not easy. Who wants to wake up at 2 a.m.? None of us. We don't want to do that. But yet God may put you in a phase in life where you need to grit up and go the extra mile in order to get that extra boost of income in order to stay in a place of financial peace. Uh, the second one is actually a, a guy that I know who was working for Amazon in Tennessee. He was working there, hourly wage earner, but super smart and super driven. And he found out something about Amazon that I didn't know. And it's that the person who actually delivers your package in the van is not an Amazon employee. So Amazon outsources their drivers. They pay some other company to have a van with an Amazon sticker on it and employees that wear Amazon polos to actually deliver your package. It's an outsourced deal. Well, he's here working for Amazon. He learns a lot. He works really hard. He reads lots of books. He finds lots of people who've done it before. He becomes mentored by them. He takes out a giant loan, and he finds out where in the U.S., they need new Amazon drivers to be contracted out, and that place happened to be Appleton, Wisconsin. So I went up to see him um, uh, two or three weeks ago, and so he's now been up in Appleton, and currently he has 75 full-time employees at the company that he owns two years after he was an hourly employee at Amazon. It takes a lot of work but it is possible. One of the most generous people I've ever met in my life, it's a couple, and they live in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And when they were in their 20s, he had a really good job. He was making $100,000 a year. I understand that's a ton of money. A lot of us may never make $100,000 a year. He was making this money, but even at making that level of income, they had this feeling with their friends who worked at the company that they could run the company better than the people that were currently running it. And so... They needed to come up with each one of these 10 guys who worked for the company needed to each come up with a million dollars. That is a ton of money, but he made $100,000 a year. How many years does it take to save a million dollars if you make $100,000 a year? 10 years. So his wife, who made a lot less for 10 years while they had small children, they lived off of her salary. Can you imagine having this much income and choosing to live off of this much income? While you have young kids for 10 years of your life, that's what they did. At the end of those 10 years, he went in with his 10 friends, and they bought their company for $10 million. And then they ran it really, really well. Uh, seven years later, they resold the company for $172 million. That's a fantastic return. If you met these people, if they were sitting in, in this room tonight, you would never guess that they were many times over millionaires because they're the most humble people I've met. They're phenomenally generous people. They're wonderfully Christian people who've put God first in their finances. There are paths that exist when we surrender to God, when we trust him with our plans, whenever we are willing to do what he says, whenever we are wise, that you can see God do some miracles in your personal finances. 
and see a way towards financial peace. This is the part where I make a really big plug for a class we have here called Financial Peace. So Dave Knack, are you in the room tonight? He mentioned it earlier. So Dave and Jenny Knack, they go to our church here. They're fantastic people. And every, I think twice a year, they host a class we have here called Financial Peace University. It's a curriculum taught by a guy named Dave Ramsey. And he's a Christian guy going through everything we've talked about tonight, but in a more careful, systematic, mentored kind of approach. So their next class stops, starts on August 17th. And I promise you, I will remind you about that when we get to August 17th. Me and Mandy actually took that class when we were in our first, like, three months of marriage, and it really helped us get on good footing as we started out. We both had quite a bit of debt when we were first married, and so it helped us get out of that debt and get into good patterns and good steps. None of this is easy. Um, it's really challenging. I know that, again, that this could be a really difficult conversation for someone tonight. I, I, I want to, like, reach out my heart to you, and I want to say, please don't walk out of this room discouraged. You know, that you can feel all of this and go, yeah, I, I, have, I have made some mistakes in my past. There are some decisions that I made that were not wise decisions, and I'm just sitting in the pain of that. Well, here's the deal. The blood of Jesus covers all sins. And so the things that we carry from our past, there might be consequences that hang along with it, but there is no guilt. I pray that if you feel guilt, that you would be rid of that tonight, that, that would be lifted off of you. There should be no guilt for the mistakes that we've made in your past. My prayer for you today is twofold, is I want to see God bring peace to every person in this room, to remind you that God is your provider, that he is your supply. And then secondly, I want God to give every single person in this room a, a first step. That if there was a first step to go, okay, God, you've forgiven me. I don't have any guilt from this. I have peace in my heart because you're my provider. Now teach me how to be wise. What is that first step that I'm going to do? And I think for many people in, the, in this room, that first step could be that phone call, that sit down, that conversation that you could have this week about how to make righteous steps, wise steps when it comes to our debt. I know this was a strange talk tonight, but I also know that it can be extremely helpful. And so I hope that, I hope that lands on you tonight, and I hope that you know my heart going into this is that I just want to see you at peace. I want to see you living the generous life that God has called you to live, that allows you to uh, give your attention to really great God-sized things and not have your attention captured by stressful things and, and the things that can really drag us down. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you're good. And I pray, Lord, that you would do just what, we're, just what I'm saying here tonight. I pray that you would bring peace. I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak peace. There's someone in this room right now who I know just feels almost panicked um, by this conversation and by the debt that has this weight upon them. And I pray that your peace would be present. I pray that your peace would allow us to breathe deeply and to have our trust in you as our sole provider. I pray, Lord, that you would allow your Holy Spirit to give each one of us a first step, a next step in our wise financial management. Allow us to do what Zacchaeus did and be able to be free of things that weigh us down. Allow us to be free. Let us to make those decisions that would let us no longer be a bondage to something in this world, but be free to serve you and free to do the things you've called us to do. I thank you for this night. I pray, God, that as we continue to think about these things, that you would just continue to allow good work to be done 
in this church. I pray that you would give a blessing over, you know, every income earner in this room. For those who are searching for a job, I pray that you would provide a miracle for them this week in the new avenues that they would check to find a new job and the new places that you would lead them to. I pray, Lord, that you would allow your hand to be seen in the good work that you've called us to do. We love you. We give you praise. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.